Well, would you turn with me now, Matthew chapter 5, and we're in our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and we're continuing to see what our Lord has to say about a lot of things. And if you've noticed recently, Jesus reminded us of God's high value on life. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we took on that passage where he brought up that commandment, you shall not murder. And we agree with that, but then Jesus reminded us, not only are we not to kill people, but we're, we're not to hate people. We're not to sin against people in ungodly anger, and we can't even seek to harm people with ungodly words. Remember, there's a prohibition against angry insults. We can't do that. This is God's such high value on life. And now we've come to a section where Jesus is going to remind us about the high value of marriage. You remember we saw last time, Jesus reminded us of that command, you shall not commit adultery. But he didn't just leave it with the act of adultery. Remember, we got the warning from Jesus not to have a heart of adultery. We're not to look at anybody with lust. Our desires, our, our eyes, our hearts are to be for our spouses alone and for no one else. Now, as Jesus continues in his sermon on the mount, he also lifts up his high view of marriage as he prohibits almost all divorce. And so we're going to take up the topic of marriage and divorce today. This isn't one of those topics for a pastor where you go, oh, good. I get to preach on divorce today. But we take up this topic because Jesus brings up this topic. It's very important. In fact, you and I would never have the idea, well, let's just skip this one. We said, no, we want to know what does our Savior say about this, this very relevant topic of marriage and divorce. But I want you to hear my heart on this as we get started. My parents divorced when I was four years old. In fact, I have no memories of my parents together. My brother and sister do, they're older than I am, but I have no memories. I don't remember any holidays together with my mom and dad. I don't remember any times at the dinner table, no vacations together. I, I, I don't even have this image. I can't even picture a single time uh, of them in a car together. Don't, you know, seeing a mom and a dad drive off to go somewhere. I, I don't have any recollections like this, but here I do I have this recollection as a four-year-old. I remember when my dad took my brother and sister and me to a park in Raleigh, North Carolina, when he told us they were getting divorced. I remember that day, it's, it's one of my earliest memories because I remember everybody was sad. I remember everybody crying, but me. I didn't understand what it all meant, but I remember that day. I want you to hear that because that's the, really the context of my whole life from four on up to the present day, that reality of my parents' divorce. And I want you to hear this, I love my parents. Uh, they, they are very different people than they were back then, both now followers of Jesus. They went from cultural Christians in those days to followers of Jesus in the years since. But here's what I've taken away from that experience on our way, on our way to our text. I've taken away from this. First of all, divorce hurts people. And that hurt lasts a long, long time. Not only that, divorce complicates life. And those complications last a long, long time. Here's something else I know. There's grace after divorce. There's grace after divorce. Grace for the innocent party, like my mom. There's grace for her. And there's grace for the guilty party of divorce, like my dad. I've seen God express grace to them, as I mentioned, coming to Christ after all that and, and being very different after that. Another takeaway from what I experienced in my parents' divorce, I wish it had never happened. And you know, it's interesting, through the years I thought, I feel sorrier, obviously, for my mother and for my brother and sister than for me. I was four, 
And, but I remember they, they, as I think about it, they had the full brunt of the emotion as they were fully aware what was being blown up uh, for them. As my brother, a 10-year-old at the time, my sister, eight, and, and I was four, just kind of coming to terms with that as the years went by. But one more takeaway before we move into our text, and it's this. I know that God sovereignly used even that very negative, painful thing of divorce as a part of his sanctification in my life. I'm sure in ways, I've been shaped in ways I don't even know because of that. But I'm sure God has used it to shape me and to make me useful, certainly empathetic toward those who've gone through this. So here's a reminder. I'm just the messenger. But I hope you know I am a compassionate messenger because this divorce has been the context of my life. So I want to begin and end with grace. Grace, grace, grace. And we're going to end with the grace of God. So my commitment to this text, as with any text, is let's surrender to it. It doesn't matter what I think about it or how we feel about it. With any scripture, well, Lord, I, I surrender. So now what did you say? And we'll take that up. So let's go in now. Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So let's first take on this, the reality of divorce. The reality of divorce. That's verse 31. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Here's a reminder. Here's Jesus bringing up divorce. Divorce has been around a long, long time. And here's Jesus 2,000 years ago giving a teaching on it. But then he points back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 where divorce was a reality then. And so he's citing Deuteronomy 24. So what's that all about? Let me read that to you. This is Deuteronomy 24 verses 1 through 4. It speaks of that certificate of divorce. When a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because... He has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land, which the Lord, your God gives you as an inheritance. So that's the reference Jesus brings up. Hey, you've heard about Deuteronomy 24. You've heard about the certificate of divorce, but notice in Deuteronomy 24, never is somebody encouraged to get divorced. This is certainly not a blank check that you can get a divorce for any reason. That's not what Deuteronomy 24 is. That just gave a situation where if there was some indecency, some immorality found in one of the partners, here's the process. There needs to be a paper that goes along with this to make this official. It's a warning that a man can't just send his wife away and on his whim and maybe just decide, oh, I'll take you back later. It's kind of up to me. No, there's, there's a paper. There's a document here. So this actually exalts the bond of marriage rather than cheapens it. There's a certificate of divorce. One scholar described it this way. The written notice was a protection to the wife against an angry whim of a husband who might send her away with no paper to show for it. 
Another scholar said it this way, the, the certificate did not make the divorce right, but only gave the woman some protection. It protected her reputation from slander and provided proof of her legal freedom from her former husband and her consequent right to remarry. So we've been just talking about together this reality of divorce and that Jesus brought it up. But now let's consider what does Jesus say about marriage and divorce? He says, you've heard that, but I say, look at verse 32 now, but I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So there's a reality of divorce, but notice here there is a restriction placed on divorce. There is a restriction placed on divorce, and we see it there in verse 32. Now, there were two very common views of divorce in the first century among the Jewish people. There were those who had a very lenient view of divorce, and they believed that you could divorce for any reason at all. So some of the examples they cite, you know, if your wife is a bad cook, they could divorce her. Or if she embarrassed you in front of your friends, then, then you could divorce her for that. But there were others under another school of thought that believed that no, divorce is only for extreme situations like when there has been adultery. And so we take up Jesus here in verse 32, and it's clear Jesus had a very high view of marriage. And you and I need to hear his take on marriage. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. What he says about marriage, oh, we take that with the ultimate seriousness. Now this is authoritative for us. We need to hear this because our culture has a very cheap view of marriage. So many people in our culture feel like marriage itself is totally unnecessary, and so we live in a time where a couple might say, hey, let's take our relationship to the next level. We've been dating for a while. Here's a key to my place. You come and move in with me. Or maybe they'll say this. No, hey, let's go get a place together. We're going to take the relationship to another level. We care for each other. Let's go rent an apartment together and let's set up house. Let's, let's act like we're married. Marriage isn't important. Some people say it's just a piece of paper. Jesus did not have that view of marriage. Let me just remind you, living together like you're married, when you're not married, there's a, there's a word for that, and that's called fornication in the Bible. That's sex before marriage. That's always been sinful. It's still sinful. If you're in a situation like that, you must repent of that if you call yourself a Christian. That cannot be true. That's ongoing immorality without repentance. That's foreign to the whole Bible. That's fornication. That's called out in the scriptures. You need to repent of that. But some people have that very, most people have a low view of marriage. Hey, living together, no big deal. We don't even need to be married. But then there's this. Many people who do marry treat marriage like it's not just unnecessary, it's disposable. Marriage is disposable. So somebody can go into marriage saying, listen, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, I'll just walk out. And if you don't make me happy, your history. It's just a very low view of marriage, just the prevailing view in our culture. So interestingly, I found what do the marriage therapists say they're hearing in their counseling? I came upon a survey of 2,371 recently divorced people who told this, uh, this journal about why they got divorced. This is a journal for marriage therapists. And here are the top four reasons why people in our day are saying they're getting divorced. The first one is this, 47% of those recently divorced said because of a lack of love or intimacy because one or both of them fell out of love. So that's the number one reason marriage, marriage therapists are saying people are, are seeking a divorce. There's just a lack of love or intimacy. 44% cited communication problems. 
34% said there's a lack of sympathy, respect, and trust in the marriage. And then 32% said we just simply grew apart, seeking a divorce because we just grew apart. So that's interesting. That's what the marriage therapists are telling us. They're hearing from people the dominant, the top four reasons. Then, then it was interesting to find out what did the divorce attorneys say? What are people telling the divorce attorneys the reasons why? And they gave a top five list. And some of these really do correspond together. But interestingly, the number one reason the divorce attorneys say they're finding people wanting divorce, it's money management or the lack thereof. So fighting over money. Second reason the divorce attorneys gave, inability to resolve conflict. Third, a lack of intimacy or fading intimacy, not feeling connected, not feeling desired, or losing your identity in marriage. That's an interesting one. I've lost myself somehow in this marriage. Or five, not sharing the same vision of success. We have just different aims, different goals. So that's what, you, that's what the therapists are telling us. That's what the divorce attorneys are telling us. This is what they're hearing in, in this in these days, that's what's, these are the reasons why. Now, there are other reasons why people would seek divorce, abuse, addictions, neglect, and, of course, infidelity. But it's common in our day for people to say, Here, here's the reason why I want a divorce. I don't love her anymore. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, in fact, as I think about it, I never really loved him. I never really loved her. But everybody at your wedding would differ with you. They saw how you looked at each other. Well, years ago now, I counseled with a man who was wanting to be remarried to somebody else. He had been divorced for a number of years, wanted to remarry somebody else, and he was talking to me about that. And so I asked him about his first marriage. So, so what happened there? And as he talked about it, he never got to anything big. There was no big reason why he left his wife and his children now wanting to remarry somebody else. I kept waiting for this extreme thing he was going to talk about. In fact, he talked about his ex-wife in very nice terms. We are the best of friends. We get along great now. We just didn't do well living together, but we do great now. My counsel to him was, go home. Go home. Be a hero to your kids. Go home. And I told him, I wish somebody had told my dad to go home to us when he was thinking about leaving us. That's certainly not what Jesus talks about. That We just don't get along real well. So Jesus, look at this. He gives a restriction on divorce. Divorce is a reality, but there's a restriction for it. Look at verse 32 again. Jesus brings up unchastity. What's that? It's the Greek word pornia. It's, the, it's a word that covers all types of sexual immorality. And Jesus, here, here is the exception. Here's when divorce is biblical. It's interesting here. Jesus, just a moment ago, back in verse 27, when we looked at this last week, he brings up adultery. But Jesus here makes the point that if you don't divorce in the right way for the right biblical reasons, you're entering into adultery. So we can say it this way. Adultery is a biblical reason for divorce. But if you don't have a valid biblical reason for divorce and you remarry, it's leading you now into adultery. Again, look at verse 32 again. We're just taking seriously the words of Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity, sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So clearly in the mind of Jesus, with his high view of marriage, this is God's view of marriage, that, that when, when people get a divorce, they're not really out of the marriage in the mind of God. If there wasn't a biblical reason, those two he joined together are still together in, a, in his sense, in his mind, and there's a problem with a subsequent remarriage. So a person might think, oh, I'm legally divorced in Virginia, then I can legally remarry. And God would say, not always, not in every case, there are some limitations to divorce. Now I want you to, I want you to hold your place here in Matthew 5. 
But I want to invite you to stay in the book of Matthew, but go to Matthew 19, because Jesus speaks a bit more about this in Matthew chapter 19. So hold your place in your Bible, turn over now to Matthew 19, and we're going to look together verses 3 and following, and here Jesus just lay out again a, a more developed teaching on marriage, but making the same point here. Matthew 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. And asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now listen to the disciples response. This is verse 10. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. <laughs> he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Let's just pause here in Matthew 19 for a moment, and let's look at how Jesus describes the nature of marriage. We're seeing he has a high view of marriage. First of all, there is a designer of marriage, and it is God himself. This was God's idea to create marriage. And so understand there is an author of marriage. It's not human beings. It's God. So we, we dare not trifle with marriage or make it according to something else. God is the designer of it. And since God's the de designer of it, consider with me the design that God has for marriage. And notice it. It's so clear for us. The design is for a male and a female to enter into marriage. That's always been the design. We read about it in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. This is marriage, a man and woman. Another part of the design is a leaving and cleaving. So you're leaving your mom and dad. You're then forming a new family with your husband or your wife. You become one. So there's a designer. There's a design. What about the duration of marriage? Did you notice? It's for life. It's a permanent bond until death parts you. And then what about divorce? Jesus brings it up only in the case of unfaithfulness, Jesus brings up here. So verse six again, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse nine, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So, so God then created marriage as a profound union. Think of it, God himself puts together a man and a woman, a mere man and a woman. He puts them together and considers them one in his sight. And we're not to tear them apart. So, so here's what we know. That divorce then is only for extreme cases. It's not because, you know, it's just not fun anymore. Or, or we argue a lot. Or, or she's messy. I didn't know she's going to be so messy. These aren't reasons for divorce. Those are things that you just got to work out or be patient with or forgive. Those are small things. But in extreme cases, God permits divorce. There's another one given in the scripture. So we've considered Matthew 5, Matthew 19, but also in 1 Corinthians 7, there's another biblical reason given for divorce. This is Matthew 7. It's what we sometimes call abandonment or desertion. When one spouse deserts, abandons another. Here's the scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 12. 
But to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the, her believing husband for otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Here it is. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So here's a situation of a believer married to an unbeliever. The believer is not to push the person out. You're, you're wanting to win your spouse to the Lord is what you want to happen. But if your unbelieving spouse abandons you, they leave, you're not bound. You're not guilty for that. You might be listening to this message and say, man, I, I had extreme situation in my marriage. I mean, it's not, it wasn't exactly infidelity done to me. And it wasn't exactly a spouse that, that totally abandoned me. I mean, so somebody could say, listen, I was, I was being abused. I was being I was being beaten in my marriage and I had to get out. And listen, there are a number of scholars and pastors who would say that that idea of physical abuse really could fit under that heading of abandonment. Because though they're physically present, they've abandoned any sense of what a marriage is supposed to be to harm you like this. So let me just speak real quickly to somebody who might be going through abuse. And that is get help immediately if you're being abused. I mean, somebody's, they're, they're committing a crime against you. Your, your call should be 911 when someone is beating you. And listen, I've seen this done, a wife beating a husband terribly and husbands beating wives terribly. Should never happen, that's a crime and you should call 911. And then after getting that in the hands of legal help and getting you some safety immediately, uh, then your next calls could be to a pastor, a biblical counselor, help me sort this out. So, so we're just making the point scripturally, don't we see it, that divorce only in extreme cases because we have such a high view of marriage. And so I wanna spend the rest of our time now real quickly looking at 10 points of application from these realities we've seen from the scripture. And I know that number 10 might scare you, but we'll do them fast. First, first point of application is this, let's recapture God's high view of marriage and our vows. If you're married, recapture God's high view of marriage and the vows that you made. Second point of application. Remember that your marriage is not really yours. This marriage is bigger than you and your spouse. This is God's institution. He's letting you in on it. It's not really yours. Understand that. Third, remember that you are not alone. Some of you in your marriage ceremonies did a beautiful thing. Sometimes you mix sand together. Sometimes three sands, one represented God and one each of you. Some of you did a cord of three strands symbolizing that Christ is in the marriage with you. Hey, that is a reality. Those are beautiful pictures of it. But that's a reality. You are not alone in your marriage. And can I remind you, the Holy Spirit specializes in raising the dead. So if you're going through a hard time, you're not beyond God working a miracle. If there are two of you willing, then, then the Holy Spirit has much to work with to bring healing in your marriage. You're not alone here. Here's another thing, the fourth application. Remember that you are commanded to love one another. We're told that as Christians, it's not an option. We're to love one another, bear each other's burdens, forgive one another. We're commanded to do that. Husbands specifically told to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church in the book of Ephesians. Women are told the same thing. Titus 3, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Train the younger women to love their husbands. So we're not waiting on a feeling, not waiting on them being worthy of it. We're commanded to love each other 
in the marriage. Fifth point of application, prioritize your wife's needs or your spouse's needs above your own. Why not make it your goal? I want to outgive you. I want to outbless you. If you have a husband wife thinking, my, my number one ministry among many ministries I have, number one ministry is to you and I want to bless you. I want to outgive you. I want to outserve you. Can you imagine? And that's what we're called to. So let's get with that. Prioritize your spouse's needs above your own. Sixth point of application. Get help from pastors and biblical counselors when you encounter trouble. Get help. There's no shame in that. In fact, you don't have to wait until you're in a crisis to seek help. It's been probably five or six years ago now. Had a young couple ask to meet with me. And I love how they described it. They said, Jim, we're, we're doing okay, but we could use a marriage tune-up. And so it was one evening we met in my office and we talked. We spent about an hour together, just reminded them some things, just heard how things were going. And they were right. Nothing horrible was happening. Just a time for tune-up. And their plan was this. Well, do you mind if we come back like once a month for the next two or three months and, until we kind of get on a good, get a good spot again? I said, that'd be great. And the ball was in their court. I was waiting on them to get back with me. And they never got back with me. I didn't think about it for the first month or two because I moved on to other things. I knew they would reach out to me. But then finally, they did reach back out it, three or four months later. And they said, Jim, we, we thought we better explain why we never called you to set up another appointment. We're doing great. All we needed was that little tune-up, some of those reminders. And we've been putting that into practice and we're, we're doing great. I think that's beautiful. And maybe that's all you need just to sit down with somebody, a third party, talk through a few things, get back on a good footing together as a couple. But here's the point. Get help from pastors and biblical counselors if you're having any kind of trouble in your marriage. Seventh point of application, get help for marriage pain that you're experiencing. You know, maybe, maybe your marriage is long in the past, but there is a deep, deep wound from that. Oh, get, get help for that. Talk to somebody. I still remember in seminary years ago, it was a church planting class and our professor, a great guy, but we'd have that time of prayer before class and, and he was clearly carrying something. And, and he said one time in class, or actually multiple times, he said, guys, there's no pain like marriage pain. He never told us what was going on with him and his wife, but he was letting us know, I'm having trouble at home. In his words, I've always remembered, there's no pain like marriage pain. And so if you're experiencing that or have experienced that, that's a present wound, oh, get help for that. People understand, wanna help you with that. Number eight, seek forgiveness for wrongs you've done in your marriage. So in your present marriage, if, you, if you've wronged somebody in your home, the way you've treated them, the way you've ignored them, the way you've neglected them, you should ask forgiveness for that. But maybe it is, it's a previous marriage and you realize, you know what, I, I look at Jesus's words, I look at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7, there was nothing extreme here. And, and yet, without any biblical grounds, I, I blew up my family, I left my family. And, and, and listen, you're not beyond the grace of God. But it would be wise, it would be godly for you first to ask God's forgiveness, God, I was wrong. I broke my vow for, for less than biblical reasons. I'm so sorry. These were not extreme things. And, and really, it would be so healing if you were to ask forgiveness of those you wronged. Can I tell you one of the most comforting things to me? I forgave my dad a long time ago for blowing up our family. And as I mentioned, he's come to Christ and he's such a dear man now. But, but one of the things that's so comforting to me, probably 20 years ago, maybe even longer ago, seeing my dad's tears about the divorce. For my dad to tell me through tears, I never should have left your mom. 
wow, so comforting, so powerful. I'm glad he didn't neglect to do that. I knew he was sorry. I knew he was a new person. I knew he wouldn't do it again, but to hear him say it, and is there somebody in your life that needs to hear you say, you know, I was wrong about that. I mean, it's too late to undo it, remarried to other people, all that, but I want, you, I want to acknowledge that I was wrong to have done what I did. There's something so healing and important about this. I think it's important for your testimony to be able to do that. And then once forgiven, walk in the grace and comfort of God. Again, God is gracious. This is not the unpardonable sin to have divorced. It is a serious sin to break those vows, but you run to Jesus with that. You ask for his forgiveness. Jesus died on a cross for those sins and every other sin. He was raised from the dead. He'll offer you forgiveness, but you've got to come to him. You need to acknowledge it. Don't excuse it. Ask him for forgiveness. Listen, he'll give you that forgiveness. And then, then the 10th point of application, and this is for the rest of us, resist judgment on divorced believers. Resist judgment on divorced believers. Unless they've invited you in and you've heard from both a husband and wife as you try to work things out, you and I only know a little bit of what their marriage was like. You and I maybe only know one side. We've heard one person tell us and, and we just need to reserve judgment. And, and this is really how we operate in the church is when I meet people who have divorce in their background, I don't make any assumptions. I have no idea what it was like in their home and, and I just know a bit. And so I'm not judging, not condemning uh, I, they, they may have long since repented of a wrong they did, or maybe they're completely innocent of something done to them. In fact, let's just remind ourselves, in this culture, you can't stop a divorce being done to you. I know many people, godly people, who never wanted divorce, but their spouse did. And, and maybe there were no extreme things, but they, they, they wanted to hold it together, but their spouse left. And, and so you can't stop somebody. And so please, we must reserve judgment on a person who's divorced. Let's just don't go there. Let's just help everybody move forward in the grace, in the growth that comes in Christ. And, and then now this, a word for couples. Maybe this is a timely word for a couple in our church. You're going through a, a tough time. You've been, you've been wondering about what to do. Can I remind you that you can fall in love again? And don't believe that on my authority. I'm, I'm no world-renowned marriage counselor, but Gary Chapman is. Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages, here's what he said about that. He said, often couples come to me in the midst of marriage difficulty. They're at the point of separating. And when I ask why, they make known their points of contention and conclude with the clincher. Well, we just don't love each other anymore. That's supposed to settle it. Divorce is the only alternative. After all, we can't help it. We have simply lost our love or it's beyond our control. One husband said, I wish I could love her, but it's too late. Too much has happened. Then Chapman continues, I don't believe that. If you want sympathy with that view, do not come to see me. I would do you a great disservice if I led you to believe that your marital happiness is beyond your control. His point being, you can stir it back up again through how you behave. And so his five love languages, if you haven't read that book, that'd be a great read for you this week. I think of it like this, really a marriage and a relationship is a lot like a chemistry set. You're looking to put some ingredients into the relationship that'll make it go great. And you wanna take dumb things out of the relationship, just, just dumb things that we could do to each other, disrespectful, rude things we do. We take out the dumb things, we put in those things that foster love and we can actually see love grow again in a marriage. And so let me remind you of some things, some resources for every marriage in the church that could be helpful. And first of all, I would recommend to you the Focus on the Family website, family.org. You can go there over and over again. So many topics related to marriage. Who am I gonna ask about this? Family.org, a great first stop 
for things related to marriage and parenting, blended families, all kinds of things, but, but focus on the family, family.org. And then also I mentioned this last week and let me commend it to you again on Right Now Media, that media resource we make available to our members, that course by Willard Harley, His Needs, Her Needs. He's got a book that sold over a million copies of that book, His Needs, Her Needs, but Right Now Media has it on there, six sessions, they're about 20 minutes a piece. You could do that this week. In fact, Joy and I are gonna do that this week. Just refresher on our marriage, these things that we've been practicing with God's help for years. Hey, let's, let's hear Will and Harley talk about it again. And uh, six 20 minute sessions, how wonderful that would be for each of the marriages in our church right on, on Right Now Media. I promise you we'd begin with grace. We'd end with grace. Let's end with that. Come to Jesus for forgiveness. This sin, if this has been a sin in your life, if your divorce was a sin, not all divorce is sin, but if, if yours was and you see it, come to Jesus for forgiveness. Again, he died for it. He was raised from the dead. He'll offer you cleansing if you come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for salvation. If you've never trusted in him, you need Jesus and come to him for that. That's why Jesus came to the earth, gave his life for you. Oh, come to Jesus with a broken heart. You've got wounds from this, maybe like me, a child of divorce and you've got wounds. Listen, come to Jesus with your broken heart. Let him mend you. And if you're a couple having difficulty, come to Jesus and ask him to renew your love for your spouse, enable you to act in a loving way toward your spouse. And so with that, let's pray together.